Hello, listeners. Welcome to A Writer's World. This is Sean Griffin, a poet and writer, hopes to share some part of that world with you here on KWNK. It's a big subject, and we'll see where it leads. Today's program is entitled, What Began as a Love of Language. About a month ago, I was asked to read poems with several poets who were much younger and just beginning their careers, if such a thing can be said of writing poetry. It was a cold night, and we couldn't gather inside because of the virus. At first, I thought it was a good idea, but quickly realized it was their night to shine, and my concerns insofar as poetry were immaterial. Then I remembered reading on a stage not far from there when I was in my 20s, and thought of the world of poetry as my oyster. I also thought it was something to be conquered, or, if I blustered enough, I could shoehorn my way into the club. It turns out that evening of reading poetry was the turning of generations, from mine to theirs. Only when I decided the most important thing I could do was listen did it become an enjoyable evening. It was no longer my place to ask of them my attention. The tide was going out. The poems might or might not wash ashore, but the tide was leaving. Last weekend, I had another similar experience. I was listening to a celebration of the poetry of William Stafford. Several dear friends read from his work and their poems in, in homage to Stafford. I was enraptured because of the time to reflect on Bill's work is so fleeting, particularly now when it, where attention is practically ransomed by nearly every clicking device. There were probably 40 poets on the screen, and I noticed again that most of them were not young. Most were my age or older, which, of course, is to be expected. Stafford was of their generation. Many, in, many on the screen knew him well, and others learned from him as a professor, just like I had seen him in numerous venues, effervescent and vital, always able to stand the room on end. But the younger generation, not so much. Some, no doubt, are not aware of Stafford. Some might feel his poetry is dated, although much of his art is timeless. Maybe it's seen as being insufficiently contemporary, but again, some of his poems are so prescient you'd imagine he was among us today. My guess is that the young poets read young poets and look up to them as, if, as they should. The older poets, those who have gone, are wrinkled and not as edgy or assumed to be so. There is so much that is calling out for the poet's attention today, it is hard to know what is necessary and needed. But it is clear that a conscientious objector from World War II is not among the top choices. I remember when Donald Hall died, he was asked by an interviewer, do you wonder if you will ever be read when you're gone? Every day, he said, I wonder if I will slip from view the moment I lay down. A poet's calling is a silent one. Sometimes he or she speaks to an audience of one or two, three if they might be lucky, a room full of people if they are adored. The same is true of their books. They lie in libraries waiting for patrons to come calling, if they come. There is such a plethora of poetry being published today, one could never keep up. I have been reading in arrears for decades, and I try to read poetry, try to keep up. I rely on the journals and the reviews to filter what I should read, but again, it is only a lens, and much gets passed over that should be part of a literate catalog.
Just this morning, I was reading a review of a poet's life work who is still with us and has received numerous honors. I can't say they are my favorite, but they have put in the work, and luck and a few breaks found them. Just the same, I'm pretty sure very, very few young people are reading this poet. This, the poet is believed to be good, whatever that might translate to in poetry, but it doesn't translate to readers. So many readers, young and old, want the quick fix, the easy resolution in a poem. But that is precisely what the poem refutes. More often, the poem asks us to sit with a question or a hesitation. It drifts close to the edge of the ineffable to say what it might mean. It is the journey to that edge, that descriptive leap we long for in a poem. That will never be popular or something that others celebrate because it is, it is too unruly. It requires too much of us to participate. And the best poets ask the toughest questions. They don't ask for our attention or answers. They let the words gather us in their web so that we might squirm a bit. They refresh the commonplace, and the object of the poem becomes new, whether it's love or hate. The poem is unrequited, and we are its captors, however briefly. Shakespeare knew this better than anyone. That is why his poems of love are not dated, much like his plays that darken the mind, Macbeth, Hamlet, and Lear. He, it seems, has been venerated and continues to be read, however reluctantly, by the next generation. My late friend Bill Stafford and dozens of others from that generation may also continue to be read. I hope so. I grew up on them. I need them. I pull Carruth from the shelf every week. But I also pull the young guns from today. Some of the best writing being, is being done now, no question. The ropes are off and the poets are telling it straight, finally. Few among my generation had the temerity to address the range of topics that confront us today. Those that did usually paid for it, censorship or worse. As many of you good listeners know, I teach in the prison. Just this morning, I was talking to a class of students about the poetry workshop. It was hard for them to understand how access to books and poetry could be so difficult. I assured them the guys could get almost anything they wanted but poetry. How's that for a paradox? Books are rarely allowed inside without scrutiny. Once inside, they disappear for months because the mind is so hungry, the mind that was lucky enough to find them. Equally hard for the students to understand was their need for poetry. Unlike readers or writers outside, they don't care who is popular, young or old, living or deceased. The men in the workshop need poetry like bread or water. It is literally life-saving to them. Indeed, Jimmy Santiago Baca has talked of this time as an opportunity to slow down, re-enter the self that has been forgotten, and try to sit with that person, reflect on who and what was once there. This notion of stillness is so foreign to our sensibilities. We have trouble sitting long enough to listen to one another at dinner, let alone sitting with the poem. That is much harder because it requires us to focus, to read and absorb something just outside our sphere of understanding. And let's be frank, most of us don't want the challenge. Let me circle back to my friends who read their work in the cold that night. All of us have guides, people we seek out to emulate. I heard the names of poets they hoped to emulate. Many of the guides that I worked with are gone. Why should I expect they would do otherwise? 
By the time my friends reach middle age, the longing to, quote, be someone in poetry will dissipate into a career and spouse and more. The truly ruthless ones may find a way, but most will surrender. It's not what I want or wanted. It's a kind of supplication to the art form and trying to stay alive. There are only so many poets who can be remembered. I want to close with a poem by Courtney Clifton, the organizer of the reading on that cold night. She deferred to her colleagues, so I will celebrate all of them by sharing her poem, I Know You Like Water. I Know You Like Water. As usual, I was thinking of you and the desert rocks on my bookshelf. You decided to put them in a corked bottle with water, which is so like you, to take something out of context to make it prettier. Like the books of poetry on your toilet that you read to me while I soak in the lavender bath, or the old coffee can you use to grow fresh rosemary on the windowsill. I even think of your garden, the one you had before I knew you. I think of you, smelling of tomato vines and basil. I think of your hands in the dirt, the shape of your wrists as you untangle the hose for watering, or how you, always hungry, ate a radish straight from the ground. I did not know you back then, but I could tell you a story about water, how it knows everything from the dinosaurs and eels to every garlic field or houseplant. Water knew you then, and it will know you later, long after you've left. What a great time to be alive, or even dead. This concludes our program on what began as a love of language. Please join us in the Collective Ethersphere on the first and third Sundays at 5 p.m. for our next meditation on words or stream it at kwnkradio.org. And please support your local independent bookstore. In Reno, that's Sundance Books and Music, and in Las Vegas, that's the Writer's Block. They're open, and we need them. Thank you, be safe, and spread a little kindness wherever you are.